We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in. Uh, John McKechnie here. This is a RotoWire special interview that we are having. I'm pleased now to be joined by Dr. Brian Castrucci. Dr. Castrucci has a DRPH and an MA, the president of the Dave Beaumont Foundation, an award-winning epidemiologist, uh, doctorate in public health from the University of North Carolina, also holds degrees from NC State and Columbia University as well. So very accomplished um, and authoritative person on these topics. Today, Brian and I are going to be getting into the intersectionality between COVID-19 and protocols and college football because Brian, in addition to being a public health expert, is also a big college football fan. So Brian, first of all, thank you for joining us. Thank you, John. And I just, I want to make it clear, my loyalties go with NC State, not that other school. Okay. All right. I see. So strictly academics for, for UNC. I, I was, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uh, interested in knowing wh- which way you leaned with that, but uh, the the undergrad ties, I feel like are always the strongest ones. I completely agree. And so I am regularly having my heart broken by the look back <laughs> in all sports, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been so, some interesting years there for, for sure. Um, I want to get into the Big Ten specifically, you wrote an op-ed um, that ran in the Baltimore Sun 
um, in August, shortly after the Big Ten's decision to cancel the season. We're sitting here in mid-November now. Obviously, the season has gotten itself back on the rails, but not without some, some hiccups along the way. So just take me through um, your thoughts on the initial decision to cancel and then the uh, ultimate uh, choo- uh, decision by the Big Ten and also the, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, and the MAC to reverse course and get a season together. Yeah, we are really supportive of the Big Ten making a hard decision, right? We understand that you know, there are risks with every single play in college football, but we still wear helmets, right? We still try to minimize that risk as much as possible. And in this case, we know that there is risk for COVID-19. We know that it has a mortality rate that is greater than the flu. And this was just a, a risk not worth taking. Um, I, I can't understand how some universities have sent their students home, but continue to try to play football. And I think it was unfortunate when the Big Ten presidents were forced back to having college football. I mean, Wisconsin has had a hard time staying on the field. Um, the Ohio State-Maryland game was canceled. I mean, how many more games can Ohio State really miss before they don't have a resume? for the college football playoff. And it's it's just, it's unfortunate mostly because we have kids, um, you know, predominantly kids of color who are taking this risk in their volunteer athletes. And most aren't gonna go in the first round or any round of the NFL draft. And so you have to wonder where student safety was compromised maybe by TV revenues and a money grant. Exactly. And I think that, um, the fact that the decisions to roll back the the cancellation and get a season together, lining up suspiciously almost to, to where um, you know the other conferences that did decide to play were, were starting to you know dominate the the ratings on college football Saturdays. You know you you're the Big Ten president. You look around, you see the SEC kicking off. You see the Big Big Twelve. You know getting the whole afternoon of, of TV to itself essentially all that exposure. So it it's really a you know a not a very well kept secret that that money had such a huge part in in the decision to to roll back that cancellation. Unfortunately, well, and and you know, I I know there are going to be people who are going to hear this and they're going to think, but but nothing bad has happened. So I I just want you to 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 take a minute and think about a child that's in your life, right? And you let that child go play in traffic, and every time that kid comes back, he says, "Listen, I I didn't get hit by a car, so I'm going to go play in traffic tomorrow." It's, it's a risk. And just because nothing bad has happened yet doesn't mean the risk isn't there or that, you know, Trevor Lawrence, though he's going to get through his COVID diagnosis seemingly pretty clean, there, is a, a not, there was a, a possibility that that couldn't happen, right? That he might have had cardiac involvement or he could have had, you know, longer term health impacts. And, and I just, it's, it's a risk that for some of these guys, I, I just don't know why they're taking like Trevor Lawrence is the consensus number one draft pick. And I mean, everyone's trying to tank for Trevor. So mm-hmm. what was he gaining this year, except additional risk on top of the risk he was already taking uh, of injury, you know, that could derail his, his, you know, his future in football, like Willis McGahee, you know, blew out his knee sure. in the last game for Miami. And, and that really hurt his professional career. No, absolutely. And, you know, like you don't have to look very far to like get a comparison for for Trevor Lawrence and like the risks because 
Xavier Thomas, a, a very highly touted defensive uh, lineman for Clemson earlier this summer, contracted COVID and had a long battle with it. I mean, he wasn't ready for the start of the season because of, of the after effects of that. So um, I think that, that that kind of goes to throw some cold water on the idea that just these kids are in tip top shape. They're the, you know, the best athletes in the, in the country and their age group. So that this isn't going to affect them. And honestly, right now, and I'll, I'll even say it for NC state, why are you playing? Like, what is, what are you playing for? I mean, there are what, six teams that really should be considered for the college football playoff, right? Take those six teams, put them in a bubble, let them play the playoff. Right. I mean, we all, you could put Cincinnati in there. Alabama is going to cut through them like a hot knife through butter. Right. We know that. So get teams, get Florida, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Alabama. Put them in a row. Let them all be socially isolated. Let them play for the college football championship. But are we really, are we really still playing for the Boca Raton Bowl? Right. Why are Clemson, why, why are Vanderbilt and Kentucky playing? They're not playing for an SEC title. They're not playing for a college football championship. And are we really going to, at one of the surges, one of the peaks of COVID, sending two teams to a neutral location to have events around a, a bowl game and then play a game? I mean, the, the, the optics of that and the potential for spread is significant. So why are we taking the risk? That It's just a simple question. Someone give me an answer other than TV revenue. Right. Yeah. You would like a, an answer that is a little bit more satisfactory than that for sure. Um, yeah. When it, when it comes to bowl season, um, it, do you think that at this stage, you know, the, I think a lot of the uh, specific sponsors for bowl games have kind of like thrown out the requirements basically for, for what uh, makes you a bowl eligible team this year. So theoretically, you know, you can be like a two win team and, and be bowl eligible this year. So do, do you think, even with like those lower standards, I mean, I, I know that it's, again, probably not a great idea for the reasons that you mentioned, but do you think that we do see something of a bowl season outside of the college football playoff this year? I think there will be people who will try because it's driven by money and, and sponsors. But I mean, if you're a community that doesn't have enough hospital beds, right? And right now, as we're surging, we're seeing states that are running out of hospital beds. If you don't have enough beds, you can't host a bowl, right? I think that's a simple, a simple equation for everybody. And again, what, what are we gaining versus the risk, right? So I'm not telling you to, to shut it all down. I'm not saying that we should have never tried this, okay? We should have had a, a much more stringent bubble. We should have made sure that people were being as safe as possible. And we should have thought about a way to get to a national champion with as as few games as necessary, right? Sure. And so I'm not saying shut it all down. That's that's not a, a productive message. But how how are we as safe as possible? And how in doing so can we send a positive message to the public that this isn't trivial, that this isn't a cold? When Dan Mullen says pack the swamp, I, that is disrespectful to the 200,000 plus people who have died. Because you know what? You can pack the swamp twice with the number of people who've died from COVID. And, and then, where is he this, what, two weekends ago, he was up in the stand hugging massless students after Florida beat Georgia. I mean, the, I, I, am, I am 46 years old, 
So I was in 12th grade when Magic Johnson said that he was HIV positive. And he immediately made a virus that many young men thought was a, a gay disease, a disease that couldn't touch them. He made it real for them. He, he immediately allowed those folks, those men, those young men to understand, those heterosexual young men to understand that they were at risk for this. We haven't had the Magic Johnson moment in COVID yet. And, and I hope we can make some decisions before we get there. But do we really need to have a college football player die of COVID? And again, the more players who get infected, statistically, the greater the likelihood that one of them will um, have a, a really negative outcome, if not die. And so why are we why are we pushing that? And, and as a public health professional, I can't I can't compete with Ryan Day. I can't compete with Dan Mullen. Uh, I can't compete with Justin Field, who got 250,000 people to sign his let them play mm -hmm. uh, proclamation. No, I'm running out there just trying to tell people to stay distant and wear masks. And many local health officials are being ridiculed and threatened. Right. And so we need these leaders. We need these coaches to really lead us and, and help people understand how devastating COVID can be. It's the same reason we don't have coaches smoking after a press conference or, you know, cracking a beer open on the sideline. It's about the optics. But for COVID, it seems like we're just ignoring it. Yeah, the, there have been, you know, so many, uh, you know, anecdotal instances of the, the you know, the quote unquote, the bad optics. Um, you know, you look at Nick Saban testing positive for COVID on the Wednesday of a game week. That Saturday, he's screaming at a referee with with his mask pulled down. Uh, you see the the students at Notre Dame rush the field uh, after after beating Clemson. It's like wow, that you know, not a whole lot of social distancing going on there. So yeah, that um, I think that optics do carry like an, an important rhetorical weight um, in in these sort of things and in, in being able to hammer home like the the importance of taking this very very seriously. And, and there have been some missteps um, along that along those lines so far. So when someone runs on a field, right, everyone's trained now to, to pull the cameras away from that person, right? If I'm a fan and I just run onto the field in the middle of the second quarter of some game, they're, they're not showing me, right? It's a way to discourage that behavior. Sure. Yet I saw, you know, thousands of fans rushing the field uh, at the Notre Dame-Clemson game. And the, the irony, like... How is the irony not lost? The only reason Notre Dame won that game, I'm sorry, Irish fans, is because Trevor Lawrence wasn't playing. I mean, mm -hmm. it took you, you know, overtime, or two overtimes, I think, to beat, to beat Clemson with their backup quarterback. And so in that context, then you have all these folks rushing the field, and ESPN showed that over and over and over and over again. And they're reinforcing a message that this is not something to worry about, right? I think Scott Van Pelt kind of in his, in his midnight sports center kind of was like, yeah, this is this is interesting. This is a little problematic, um, but on, we're not having a conversation. I was listening to the NC State UNC game, and it was a blowout. And so it, it always is hard for commentators to fill the space. And they started talking about how empowering and excellent the you know we want to play movement was, and the leadership of the athletes. And it's blowing my mind knowing that by the end of this year. You know, we, we could have 300,000 Americans dead that, you know, and we, we've seen this amazing surge with all of these new cases. And we have hospitals that that are being filled up. And these were all things that we had warned about, but no one listened. So it, it just kind of blows your mind 
that we have, I just want the listeners to think about, we're talking about 240,000 empty seats at Thanksgiving. You know, 240,000 people who won't be watching the NFL on Thanksgiving, who won't have their father or their brother or their sister next to them because they were, they were a victim of the, the COVID-19 virus. And you have to wrap your brain around that somehow. And, and I think the most you know, visual thing is anytime you're watching a game, just remember, we're almost up to three entire sold out stadiums. And we're talking the big stadiums. We're talking Michigan, Ohio State, Texas. We're talking the big stadiums, three whole stadiums filled with people who have died from this virus. It, yeah, it's it's really, you know, when you put it in those terms, and you know, it's good to do that, you know, it, it does kind of hammer it home even further. Um, circling back to, you know, when we were talking about how not shutting it down it, it, or saying shut it down is not like a productive, helpful way of, you know, advancing the discourse on this. So with the season happening, I want to just like, I want to see what you feel about the differences innate to college football versus the the bubbles that worked for both the NBA and the NHL, because the bubble bubbles were brought up because bubbles have proven to be effective, but there is also the matter of the NCAA kind of holding on to the, you know, the, the farce of amateurism, especially at the, at the division one college football level where, you know, these are amateur athletes. They're not, they're not getting paid. Therefore you cannot, bubble them because that would imply that they are anything different than a regular student. So what was, what was your opinion on that? And, you know, just the NCAA is clutching onto that in, you know, in something that it could have been a, a, for a positive if, if these, if these bubbles did occur and they did kind of concede that these students are different. I think the, I mean, the bubble does work. It, it works in the NHL and it worked in the NBA, partly because of just the staff size and the player size. I mean, they're smaller units. I mean, a college football team can be, you know, 60 some odd players just in the players. And then you yeah, have just suit it up. Yeah. And then everybody else. And so you, it would probably be really hard to bubble everybody. It, it just, we needed to make some choices that we weren't willing to make. And, and that's what it comes down to is that unfortunately people just simply aren't taking this seriously. And Trevor Lawrence's experience reinforces why people aren't taking it seriously. Right. So he was there, he was on the sideline of their game game, you know, the, the blonde locks flowing, had a mask on, but he was right there. He wasn't sick. He didn't die. He didn't have these long-term complications. Right. And so we just, COVID doesn't, isn't scaring us. Right, it, of, of a nation of 369 million people, 240,000 dying is not enough yet to scare us. And the question is, what will it take? You know, would it have taken a Nick Saban, I believe, with a uh, false positive test, but would it take Nick Saban dying from COVID? Is that our is that our Magic Johnson moment with COVID? Would it have taken Trevor Lawrence being on a ventilator? Like, do we really need that kind of visual? Do, do you need your kid to get hit by a car before you tell them not to play in the street? Right? It's just, why are we taking the risk? And many people have come back at me and said, you know, the kids want to play. I'm like, right. And, and my kids want to start a fire in the backyard. I tell them it's a bad idea. 
right? I say, you can't do that. That's too risky. And, and I don't think we're saying, you know, again, and this is, I struggle with this as a public health professional. I understand the head injury, you know, issues. I understand the concussion issues. And I, and I still watch the game and I still love the game, right? And I want to make sure that players are informed and that we're using every single thing we can to make sure we minimize that risk. This is a novel virus that has only been in the population for about 10 months or so. So we don't know enough of, of what's going to be the future to put these kids at this risk. And more importantly, how many NFL players opted out? I mean, I, I'm also a New England Patriots fan. And my defense was decimated by opt-outs. Mm-hmm. And I fully respect their, that choice for those players who said, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna forego millions of dollars to keep myself safe. I'm, safe. I'm gonna take the stipend that they got when they opted out. Yep. Um, because they know their careers on the line. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we, we did see see plenty of that. Um, and NFL, I mean, we saw it uh, with Major League Baseball as well. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of high profile opt outs um, uh, to really kind of hammer home your point there. Um, let's see. As far as just imagine for a second, because I think I should take this eight, the, the Magic Johnson thing a step further. Right? Could you imagine? Back in the late 80s, early 90s, college football coaches telling their players to go out and have promiscuous, unprotected sex. Right? No. no, I mean, that you had people coming in saying, okay, let's talk about condom use, let's talk about all the things that, and, and even today, you know, do you really, I mean, come on, I've had a couple drinks. Can I drive? No, no, we right. tell you, if it's even a couple drinks, you shouldn't be driving, right? Because there is risk. And not only, not only risk to you, it's risk to others. If you look at you know so many drunk driving accidents, the drunk driver walks away unscathed. That's right. The other folks who end up suffering the consequences of it. And, and COVID is no different. This, no player might actually die or have long-term consequences, but they're each traveling to communities that are trying to manage surge. And I mean, you can tell me probably, you know, the starting offense and all the coaches for the Ohio State University Buckeyes, but you can't tell me, you know, who the health commissioner is in Columbus, Ohio, right? And, and we should be listening to her. It's Mashika Roberts, who's brilliant, right? But but we're not listening to our public health leaders. We're listening to 20-year-olds who are playing football. And and I listen, I'm never going to tell you when to cut when to call the cover two. And you know, I don't expect college football coaches to tell me about public health. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There, there, there's a line there, you know, and people need to have an understanding and respect of, um, you know, the public health discourse, especially right now. I mean, it, it, it's really never been more important uh, in this country that, than at this moment. Have, have you felt that, you know, despite the fact that these seasons have unfolded one way or the other, do you feel like there's one conference or, or a couple of places that have been kind of a, a model of, uh, of doing this right as far as like their protocols are concerned or, or is this something where everyone's got it wrong just to varying degrees? The, the big 10 would tell you that they had the single best protocol ever created and they were yeah, they sure did positions and, and they've had such a hard time getting the, the season going. And again, I think Wisconsin, you know, is such an interesting story because they're a legitimate playoff contender right and and they had a great first week and then they had to shut it down 
you know, Florida, you know, in, in, in the SEC, Florida is having a dream season right now. They missed two weeks because of COVID. And it's just, you know, what's going to happen, the, the big question is going to come is when we are on the eve of the national championship and someone tests positive. Mm. And then we've done all this, we've taken all this risk to have Alabama without three of its starting offensive players playing Ohio State. And it's still going to be a tainted championship, right? Unless someone is playing with their full capacity. And again, I don't mean like when Tua got hurt last year, that's the game, right? right? COVID's not the game. And so far, I mean, the virus is the only the only thing that is that has cost Clemson a, a a win and stopped Alabama from winning, you know, in, in, in a weekend. So it's just we have to make a real choice in this country as this virus surges, right? So let, right now, this virus is surging. There's not a state out there that the virus isn't surging. Hospital beds are running out. We're going to have this twindemic we talk about between people who are going to the hospital for flu and going to the hospital for COVID, right? The president had access to a whole set of medical care that the average person doesn't. Right. We have a lot of people who are uninsured. So this is, this is, not the situation that we want to be in, especially going into winter, right? Because I watched people play Little League over the summer and people were staying distant. And you can't do that with basketball. You can't do that with indoor sports. And we all were kind of content eating it out, outdoor seating at restaurants. That's not going to be an option in a lot of places in the country. I don't think you can eat outdoors in January in Wisconsin. As, as someone who is interviewing you from Madison, Wisconsin right now, I can confirm that, uh, yeah, that's going to be a no-go. So it's just, I think everybody just really needs to take a minute and, and really explore what they're thinking about COVID. And, and just, if you're willing to go forward and you're willing to take risks, then just like in your own mind, which of your family members are you willing to sacrifice? Because ultimately the choices we're making especially as we go into Thanksgiving with a, with a lot of travel predicted with a multi-generational holiday where grandma comes and says, Oh, it's okay. I can come and visit you. Do you really want to be responsible for inadvertently and unintentionally giving grandma food? Right. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's a, that's a decision that everyone is, is looking at right now. I mean, we're only what nine days away from Thanksgiving. So, I mean, it's, you know, people are faced with that decision right now. And, and like you said, at the beginning of this interview, as, as uncomfortable as it is, like, would you rather just have a Thanksgiving, a lonely one versus, you know, uh, being in the hospital come Christmas? It's really a, a question of just what are we willing to sacrifice now and get things back to normal? We, if we don't follow basic public health guidance and, and we, we should everyone should be wearing a mask and again coaches you're, you're not you're not helping me out on that front guys like you know could you just keep a mask on for a whole game could we wear it appropriately i mean i wish i wish i had as many twitter followers as lebron james right i w- and i could say every day on that on that platform wear a mask and hey do it stay so- socially distant we just don't have those platforms. And so we rely on people to be role models. Uh, again, you wouldn't, what would happen if after the end of like when, when the Lakers won the championship, if, if LeBron, you know, lit up a cigarette 
I mean, it, there would be like, it would be an explosion of bad press. Right, right. But Dan Mullen, after the Georgia game, went into the stands and was, you know, interacting in close contact with people that he had no idea who they were. So they weren't close contacts. You know, they weren't someone in his bubble. And no one said anything. We just kind of were celebrating the win. I, I don't need winners right now. I need role models. I need someone to stay. I need the, the head coach at Vanderbilt or the head coach at Wake Forest to say, listen, we're done. There's nothing more we can do here. We, we're not winning any championships. And at that point, this risk is outweighing the gains that, that, we, can, that we can have. Once that happens, then there may be a changing in people's thought process around the game. But right now, we had missed 10 games last weekend, and we're, we're just powering through this weekend. Well, just right. those who can play can play, those who can't can't, and we will just keep marching to you know, the, the, the college football playoff. And you're already starting to see early NCAA basketball conversations. And how are we going to manage that in stadiums and – as you notice, the first week, maybe there were no, no one was there. Well, then we can do parents. Oh, well, now we should have 25,000 students. It, it's all of this is then compounded on our own fatigue as a nation. And so it's a bad soup. It is a bad soup with a lot of bad implications. Yeah. I mean, we are fully like eight months into, into this being like the number one issue in the, in the country. And you know, like you said, it, it's it's surging. Uh, you know, anecdotally, here in Madison, we just had an order put in place today, um, just banning all indoor gatherings and all outdoor gatherings of, of ten or more people. So, I mean, we're we're basically back to square one in a lot of places um, as far as like our containment of this. And unfortunately, you know, half the conversation when when half the country when you talk about COVID is having a political conversation. The other half is having a scientific conversation. And that's the hardest part, is debating with people. This is really the first pandemic that we've had with social media. Mm -hmm. So when I read people's tweets and they say, this is a hoax, I, I don't even know. I mean, if someone said to me, two plus two is 12, I would not engage them in, in thoughtful conversation. No. You're just wrong. Like, let me show you. Here's two. Here's two. Count them. It's four. But <laughs> so when you tell me it's a hoax, I want to, I want to lay out, you know, 240 some odd thousand Americans who, who have died. I want to show you the people who are in the hospitals. I want to, you know, we we keep we keep going to the well. I met this guy and he was fine. He had COVID and it was just like a little flu. Okay, but then there are also people that really have significant issues. And, you know, the vaccine is also not going to be some miraculous cure the day it comes out. We still need Americans to take the vaccine and the logistics of vaccinating possibly two doses for 396 million Americans is is not easy. And that's what we're going to be faced with. And correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but isn't general like vaccine trials like uh, usually they last like 14 months or something. So, I mean, this would be a very fast vaccine as well, correct? So part of it is that we're using new technologies to develop the vaccine quicker. These vaccines are safe. 
and we have the effectiveness data coming out. I will take this vaccine when it's available. Um, it's more how we're going to get it to a whole population and understanding that what we haven't had is understanding. So no one's had the vaccine and we've watched them for 12 months post-vaccine. Sure. Right. There's always with any vaccine, with any drug, there's always ongoing safety monitoring. Should something start to come up longer term? And I think that's what people are worried about um, is what happens not when I take the vaccine, but six, 12, 18 months from now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we know that people probably need two doses. They'll need it annually. I and mean, this is a major change in, in our lives. And, and I think that's the, the thing here. I am old enough to remember when you could go to the gate to meet your family at the airport. So we never got back to normal after 9-11. Mm-hmm. We never, the, the, the normal that was there on September 10th was gone on September 11th. And in a lot of ways, we have to think of this in the same way, right? It will be a new normal kind of post-COVID. COVID is not going to just immediately go away once we have a vaccine. And so we have to be very thoughtful about what the new normal is going to be in our nation. And also, many of the disparities that are driving infection, the fact that, listen, I've been at home since March. Our company closed down. We said, listen, we're going to work from home. But if I'm a bus driver, if I'm you know, a subway worker, I can't do that. And so those disparities are driving this, this virus, the viral spread as well. And, and we have to be thoughtful about that and, and really create policies. Do you know, John, that we are one of only two industrialized nations that doesn't have national paid sick leave? It's the U.S. and South Korea. That's it. It's not a so point. when they tell everybody, yeah, it's like if, 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 when they tell you to stay home, if you're sick, stay home. Well, what they don't tell you is and possibly not pay the rent. Exactly. And possibly. So this is like, this is, I love sports because sports is a way to understand everything in our culture, right? It's a way to talk about things through a common lens, right? Jamel Hill t- brought in some really interesting points when she was on ESPN and bringing out social justice issues. And, you know, this is why we're, we're debating sports and we're having these passionate conversations. We have to work in how we feel about COVID, what we should be doing, and how we best prevent next season from being as disrupted as this season. And sometimes, you know, Americans are not good about saving. You know, when when we get the money, we spend the money. And in some ways, we've chosen to have football this year, not recognizing that that might have implications for the next basketball season, the next NCAA season, and football next year. So we, we have to have these conversations. And I, you know, I, I heard Sarah Spain and, and uh, Fitzgibbons the other night on their Spain and Fitz show talking about issues around COVID with no public health practitioner even there. And so I give you a lot of credit for at least having this real public health conversation about football and, and, and COVID. Thank you. I mean, again, it's it's something that's important. And, you know, you can't talk about college football in 2020 or beyond without, you know, having this 
brought into the context of it because it's impacted literally every little thing, every fiber of college football this year has been touched by this in one way or the other. And, you know, you could almost say that there was almost the Magic Johnson moment because, I mean, the the, the thinking being that just like no one is bigger in college football and no one has been bigger in college football in years than, than Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he is the biggest deal since Andrew Luck, maybe even Peyton Manning. So him getting the virus, I, you know, it, at once, you know, you hope the silver lining would be, okay, this is, this is the inflection point where people really, really start to take it seriously. But like you said, when people also see him on the sidelines two weeks later, just kind of hanging out, uh, look, seeming like, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong, then, you know, maybe it, it opens the door for like the wrong message to be taken away from it, I guess. Paul Feinbaum was on ESPN criticizing the Big Ten for their 21-day holdout. Right. Once it was positive. That's not good messaging. Like, I, I it, what if a whole group of people were telling you smoking was safe? Right? What would we do with that? I mean, I, I need, we need, as a nation, you know, after Pearl Harbor, we didn't see half the nation saying that that was fake news or that right. Germany wasn't a threat. Like, when any time this nation has been challenged, we've come together, we've united, and we've fought a common enemy. I guess it's just harder right now because we can't see that enemy, right? It's it's this virus that that we're trying to fight. And I mean, Lincoln said, "A nation divided against itself, you know, cannot stand." Well, it can't fight a virus particularly well either. No, I mean, again, you know, that the surge continuing uh, really just underlines that that it, that we're still, you know, we're not even close to the fourth quarter of the, of this thing, really. Absolutely not. It would have been like again. If, if coaches had come out, um, Nick Saban, James Franklin, Harbaugh, you know, Ryan Day, et cetera, and said, we, we are going through it this season and we are going to take every safety precaution that we can and we're not going to have fans and we want everyone to hear that you need to wear a mask, you need to stay socially distant and you need to take this seriously, then the the season would have actually had a positive social impact, but they didn't say that, right? No one has has come out and said, you know, don't you, take this seriously, you know. And again, Debo Sweeney could have said it, and he said very little about his star quarterback being on the sideline. And so when Trevor Lawrence is up under center this Saturday, it's going to just tell everybody that it's a it's a minor thing. Everyone's overreacting. Clemson's still going to make the college football playoff and, you know, probably make it to the champions, probably Alabama and Clemson again. And so what is that telling us, right? We're, We're sending out really mixed signals and our president didn't help and our college football coaches aren't helping. And someone has to stand up and say, we need to take this seriously as a nation and we need to mobilize together. Because I I want to bring my son to an NC State game next season. All right. I have I do a, a fair bit of work at the University of Miami and I, I want to go down there and see a game. Right. I, I want to go to sporting events again. And I want to be able to do it safely. And we're nowhere near that. And I think that it's so crucial that, that you brought that up because you are again like it the interesting blend of being both a public health, you know, official and also, you know, on the human level, 
wanting to go and enjoy this again. Because I think that there's been sort of what, for whatever reason, this idea has spawned among people that like, if you're, if you're saying to take the virus seriously, then you're rooting against sports. And I think that that's just an unfair takeaway from it. But it's one that, you know, through Twitter and elsewhere, you know, you, you see the different echo chambers and you see people, you know, you see Dan Wolkin's uh, mentions get lit up every single time that he writes a critical piece or, or Ross Dellinger or, you know, whoever's just, re- you know, reporting the facts on, on coronavirus. And it's like, you're rooting against sports. And it, it's just a, a ridiculous mi- misnomer. And I think, it, I mean, it comes from frustration, I, I, I assume, but at the same time, it, it's not a good way to, to be go, going forward with it. Yeah, I, I mean, when the Olympics was moved, that was you know, a big moment. And when college, when professional football players started opting out, that was a moment. I'm not rooting against sports. I'm rooting for our nation and for these athletes not to put themselves at unnecessary risk. And the path, the only way that we're going to get our nation moving again, right? You, you You can't rebuild the economy if all the consumers are dead. And so we have to find a way to get people to understand and make some short-term sacrifices so that we can actually move forward and, and start enjoying what, you know, what we enjoy in our culture, right? And sports is a big part of that. But many political leaders made decisions to open bars, gyms, and restaurants. And you can't open those things and think that we can safely open schools. Or that we will get through this virus. I mean, we know exactly how this is transmitted now this many months in. We know it's closed indoor spaces without good ventilation. We know that if people would just stop debating mask wearing and, and wear them, we would get further. If we would not have, you know, house parties and et cetera, we could get through this but we've not decided as a nation that we take this seriously, right? I mean, that's the the bottom line is that people are going to prioritize going to their parents, in-laws, grandparents for Thanksgiving over preventing community spread of the virus. And it's unfortunate that folks are going to have to have a tragic event or a bad outcome before they get it. I have a colleague of mine who her, I guess it's her brother-in-law's husband um, got COVID early and ended up on a vent. And and that's the thing. She's like a COVID, you know, she's all there. She is like not doing anything to risk it because Mm -hmm. she got to hear the story of her brother uh, her brother-in-law being called at three in the morning from the hospital. And they said, listen, we're going to hold the phone up to his ear. You should say goodbye. Now he survived. He's still on oxygen, you know, six months later. Right. But until, I mean, do we, that was what that, that's what Magic Johnson did for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's made it that there is someone who I know, you know, or however we think we know celebrities that I know who is the picture of masculinity, who is the picture of heterosexuality, and he got this virus. That's that's not what I thought this virus was about. So this was, you know, Rock Hudson. This was Pedro Zamora from the real world. When he died, President Clinton said, 
Now everyone in the world knows someone who's died of AIDS, right? Because he was that that kind of you know media personality that people were able to to understand. Tommy Morrison, uh, the boxer um, who died of HIV, died of AIDS. I mean, this you know we've had those moments that have shaped how we then can deliver prevention messages. Um, I think Magic has done you know Yeoman's work in helping people understand you know one that you're at risk and two how to live very successfully on on treatment. And so where is that for COVID? I just, it's not there yet. I, I do wonder what is it going to take for the nation to wake up? I mean, you know, we, we also saw the president himself, uh, you know, get get it in, in early October. And, and it still feels like, again, it, it there was like the opportunity for for that moment, that message to to sink in, and then when it doesn't, it almost like fortifies the other side of it. Absolutely, uh, because if you're wearing a mask and you're distancing, you don't need the role model. You've already made that choice for yourself. It's the folks who aren't doing that ten months in to this to this battle with the virus. And yes, we all held our breath and hoped that you know post infection, our president would have stood up and said okay, maybe this thing's kind of real. We need to get going and we need to make sure not one more person gets this or dies. Um, unfortunately, he came out with a very different message. And we're, we're going to pay this price. We're going to pay this price until we decide to make a concerted effort as a nation. And I just, I, I wish that college athletes and college coaches could have used their platform to inform people. Um, again, I watching the, the we want to play hashtag and the petitions and people who, again, I mean, I'll get Twitter responses of people telling me, you know, what about that kid who's a sixth round pick? Like he might've gone undrafted if he, if he hadn't had this season. Well, he, okay. Like there's a combine, there's film, there's private work. Like, there are other ways to do that besides playing the games. And I mean, those are, those are also in terms of like the entire scope of cultural, it's a very, very small number of those players. We did see some of the effects of, of the off season pre-draft process impact the NFL draft itself this past year. I think we had a record low uh, FCS players get drafted as a result of um, you know, their, their workouts being compromised or, or just kind of nixed as a result of this. So it's an unfortunate, um, you know, like second order effect of everything. But it, it, it is real in the sense. But um, and, and people can't attend, you know, funerals and there people are postponing weddings. And, you know, this is not again, you have to get back to it. this is not a cold. You know, this is not something you lay down for a couple of days. And you get up and you you walk away from it and say, oh, I feel great. This is highly infectious. It's very variable between people. And you just don't know, you know who's going to potentially have a bad outcome. And let us not forget that half of Americans, okay, let's be really clear. Half of all Americans have one or more chronic diseases have diabetes, have hypertension, have heart disease, have things that put you at high risk. So it's not, you know, we everyone keeps saying, well, we could take all the people who are at high risk and put them some, you know, let them quarantine. That's half the nation. Right. 
So I don't think we could just go that route. Um, so we we just we need a national strategy, but we also need people like the the only reason to to have this conversation is if if even one of your listeners says, you know what, I have been wearing a mask. I'm going to go on fanatics and I'm going to get myself a NC State University mask and I'm going to wear that. When I go out, it, it's it's done its job, right? And that's the thing is we're not trying to hate on sports. We're not trying to hate on small business. I'm not trying to disrupt anyone's Thanksgiving. I'm trying to tell folks that there's a deadly virus out there and there are ways to stay safe. And I really want us to stay apart right now so that when we can get back together, fewer of us are missing. I think that's a great, great uh, ending message there to, to impart. I think that's super, super important. So Dr. Castrucci, once again, uh, really appreciate you taking the time and educating the listeners and, and you know, having a, a thoughtful conversation with me. Anytime, John, this is like, you know, my fantasy to talk sports and public health. So it's great. Well, perfect. That concludes this special edition bonus episode of the Rotowire College Football Podcast with Dr. Brian Castrucci. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.